Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are joined by Jason Samino from RightPoint. Welcome, Jason. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. And I say we because I have my trusty co-host with me, Amanda Georgioff. Welcome, Mandy. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Jason. Nice to have you. Uh, just a brief intro on what RightPoint does. Uh, they are a customer experience agency, and it's really more than customer experience. It's customer experience, employee experience, and partner experience. And we often have a lot of guests who are in the software space, but today I think it's going to be a really fun conversation around what it's like to sell services. And and then the other kind of interesting thing is that we're starting to target guests who are AEs out there selling so that they can share with us some of their tips and tricks for how they get their job done. Jason, we want to get to know you. And uh, one way we do that is we'll give you the choice here. Maybe a favorite or recent book that you've read that struck you as useful or uh, an unusual hobby, just something that helps us get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, so I never watched Mad Men. This year, it's been you know, obviously a crazy year with everything going on. And uh, over the holidays, so in between Christmas and New Year's, uh, my fiance and I said we were going to sit down and start watching Mad Men, which we had never done. So I think that's probably... Uh, and, and obviously, there's, there's all sorts of translations to work and life and historical moments. It's been really fun to dig in, being in services and thinking about the agency world. And end of season two, they go through an acquisition. I've been through a few of those and sort of how things shake out. And it's just really interesting to watch. Have you gotten to the Kodak episode yet? Uh, I have not hit Kodak yet, so don't spoil anything for me, Mandy. I won't. I won't ruin it, but it'll stay with you for a long time. It's an exceptional episode about salesmanship and narrative and storytelling, and it's really powerful. It's a great one. Well, I, I did want to transition over to the idea of selling services as opposed to selling products or software types of solutions. At least in the selling process, what do you think are some of the major hallmarks that differentiate what you need to do in selling services? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So my background was not in services when I came into this space and into this industry. So um, I was actually working for a, a startup where you know, it was really interesting. We were um, thinking about two, two different sales processes. One was selling to events. Um, and then ultimately, folks who uh, ran the events would get their um, you know photographs for free. So we were selling to event directors. And then we were also selling to advertisers because all of the free photos of an endurance athlete ultimately were provided by those advertisers. That was sort of how that was our media that we were selling. We were potentially thinking about building a mobile app. So I started, uh, you know, working with some companies. And at the time I was up in Boston um, that that could uh, potentially do that. Found a company named Ray's Labs. And Craig Ray's, who is the founder of that company, has been on this podcast before. So ultimately left the startup, went to work for Ray's Labs. And I think one of the first things I learned there, we were really focused on a specific slice of the market, which was, was mobile applications. Um, and I learned, uh, you know, really early that the sale is a little bit different. You cannot, you know, do a demo, right, of services. It really is a trust-based sale. So some of the things that I think I started early on was like the initial conversations have to be, you know, really about that rapport and that trust building because that's irreplaceable. You know, those first impressions really matter. So I remember a, a moment pretty early on in my career at Raise Labs when we started talking about that. And I said, you know, I think one of the ways to actually increase deal sizes is think about our process a little bit differently. And instead of being so focused on requirements and things early on, like let, let's get to know the individual stakeholder, the buyer way better. Let's understand where they're headed in their career, what they want to do. Because a lot of the times the, the products that we will launch 
at right point ultimately could make or break some of our partners' careers, right? They're making a really big bet with their budgets and their brain capital, their team's time, et cetera. Um, and I think that is, that's really important to me. So you'll, you'll hear me use the word trust really often. And I think the ways that I've found to, you know, build that trust are, are being totally transparent. You know, I often talk in terms of, of what we major and minor in as a company, what we're really good at, what we're learning, you know, places where we're not as good. I also talk a lot about the people and making sure that, our partners, our buyers know that they're they're not buying computers, they're not buying robots, they're not they're not buying a software solution. And I think that's really important because it takes you a little bit out of the nitty-gritty details of things and it gets you thinking bigger picture because you can now start talking about you know, their aspirations, the company's aspirations, where they want to go, what their cost and then you you sort of back all that up with the data and, and then those requirements. It becomes a really powerful combination of things. From from folks who have been more focused on software over the years, what does that resonate at all? Is it different? I mean, is it different at all, Mandy? You touch on a really interesting point, especially for I think folks who might be listening to this, this idea of pivoting and moving back and forth between software and non-software sales. And I think there's a lot of uh, sellers that might be intimidated by the switch. But I think what you've touched on is what makes a great seller in either world, which is a focus on outcomes, right? And I think I did not have SaaS experience. So I needed someone to take a bet on me um, that, that my services sales experience would translate into software. And I was really successful here. And one of those reasons is because I was never focused on the features and the functionality of the platform. And I always, because in services, you're always looking at outcomes. You're always thinking about how can I leverage what we're doing here to help my customer or my prospect solve these problems. And I was really successful in software because I took that services-based, outcomes-based approach versus trying to sell competitively on product features or functionality. So I think it makes a really strong case for working in both worlds. On this note, let's think about the world of prospecting right now. And it's it's probably true in services, but it's certainly true in, in software solutions and in other areas, which is the typical prospecting sales engagement is basically, hey, we're sales loft, we do this, do you want a meeting? Or one step better is like, hey, I read on LinkedIn that uh, you know you like puppies, <laughs> we're sales loft. Will you take a meeting? Right. That's the, this age of whatever of personalization. But but now, if you if you're kind of looking on LinkedIn, people are raging against that and talking about relevance over personalization. And I think if you wind the clock forward another couple of weeks or months, people are going to sort of drop relevance in early stage prospecting. What are some of the ways that you go in to offer value and insight that is that builds trust beyond you know just sort of simple rapport? Yeah, I was a journalist by trade coming out of school. So really big news junkie. Um, I started my career at the Wall Street Journal and then moved over to Dow Jones. So just have always been embedded in the news. And the way I leverage that for prospecting is you'll see a nugget of something, you know, like for for example, right now there's, I, I was reading earlier today, you know, Staples is trying to buy Office Max again. And you're starting to think about just the regulatory uh, and, and how different it is four years ago to now. That nugget may not apply to something in healthcare, but that's what I've started drawing these adjacencies is like, hey, this is going on in another industry. But I was thinking about that, you know, relative to your business and some of the things I've read about you. Um, so it actually like I, I've tried to, to take a little bit of that personalization approach. Here's something. What does it mean to you? And then how can I help you is, is kind of the thing. And when one of our prospects, when I reach out to them, I want them to know if you open that email, if you answer the call, you're going to get something valuable from me. And it's going to be worth your five minutes, 10 minutes 
two seconds, whatever it is. Then there's the selfish part of it too. Like we just had a big announcement this week. We were uh, featured on CES, Cadillac announced and GM announced, you know, all the new in-car design that that we did. And that's something where I'll say in a, in a note, okay, I'm totally bragging here, but this is something I'm really proud of and, and send it out. And I think that's another thing too, is like not only the personalization of what you're sending, you know, and, and personalizing it for the prospect, but also, you know, showing yourself a little bit too, and being able to say, hey, this is like who you're going to be dealing with. I love everything that you said there, because it's not only about, it's about values, it's about credibility, but what really struck me was this idea that if I've gone and asked for your time, it is incumbent on me to provide value in that conversation. So if I could pick kind of one thing that you said from there, that's the part that really stood out for me, which is nobody shows up to a discovery call saying like, I can't wait to go through the list of 14 questions that the AE has for me, right? You know, so I always, what what my team and I talk about all the time is this idea of leading with a hypothesis. So having an idea, because even if you're wildly off base, you usually get credit for taking the time to prepare and have a hypothesis about, here's why I think what we did for GM and Cadillac is relevant and interesting and might correlate to ways we could help you. I'd love to pressure test that with you. Either way, I think you'll be interested to hear what we did with them. Right. And so that piece around having a hypothesis for what value we can bring, but also if I asked for your time, I damn well better show up with something interesting and valuable for you. Like I want every prospect that my AEs interact with and I wanted my prospects to feel this way about me as a seller. I wanted them to walk away thinking like, even if I don't want to buy sales loft right now, like I'm glad I had that chat with her. That was a good use of my time, right? Because time is, you know, there's a high opportunity cost to time. And so I really want people to walk away from a call with me or my AEs feeling like it was time well spent. Showing well is important. And I found that like presenting well, being prepared, sending a good email, sending a thoughtful email. I couldn't tell you how many times I've sent, you know, multiple cold outreach emails. The prospect hasn't responded for months. And then six months later, they'll say, Hey, I remembered this note specifically for this reason. Here's why I'm reaching back out to you. And that's led to multiple deals of, uh, of mine. So even if you lose in the moment, They'll come back. And I think that's the important. Like, the world's only getting smaller, right? So it's like you have to keep all the doors open. As a salesperson, your reputation is your value and your network, I guess, right? Your network is your net worth, but your reputation is so important that every email that you send, every voicemail you leave, you should be proud of in a way that forms your, I hate to use this word, but it forms your brand. The other thing I was thinking about was yesterday, because I drew a two by two of like value based sales engagement of things that are the two by two is basically high and low impact and high and low effort. And one of the things you just said, right, about having some information from a news source, for example, especially third party, credible third party news source, and then digest that for them into the key takeaways. And I think it's like, not even the word relevance, it's contextualization that is thought provoking and hopefully actionable value to them, I, I think is a, is a good one. In, in my in my two by two, I also had some other things. And you asked Mandy, what you know so are some of the things we do? Uh, we're taking a page out of um, you know sort of the the PLG playbook, the product led growth playbook, and um, we're creating these free tools that salespeople and, can, and sales leaders can use like immediately, whether or not they use SalesLoft or not. It's kind of a high build cost, but then zero variable cost for incremental, you know value delivery slash acquisition. Uh, so an example of that would be our, we have a cadence builder or a subject line grader, like whatever it is, these little kind of tools that help people help people do their jobs. But there is a, the, a turning it back over to you. I mean, in the services world, I know that one of the things that people do is like they'll sort of do a benchmark, right, of, of their customers in order to help get in there. 
Is that something you guys do? Like, what do you do that's a higher touch effort, but is a super high impact way to get it? I love the word you just used was more of that contextualization. So it's, it's, it's spending our time and our people's time going into a meeting, really just prepared on the industry, on, you know, what the technologies are we're thinking about, what the future should look like. So I think we've actually moved a little bit away from like design comps or, you know, a proof of concepts for free. And it's really been about how do we spend our team's time in the, in the, you know, the most impactful way. And that's one of the other things I would say, not having sold SaaS, one of the things I found very different about selling services was, was just what a group sale it is. It really is. So part of my job, not only selling um, to our clients, but also selling internally. I don't take my job lately that someone's going to be working on something for six months and they're going to be pouring their all into this. They're going to be working 40 or 50, 60 hour weeks. Um, so I want to make sure it's exciting for them. I want to find the right projects for the team, the right technology stacks, make sure they're set up for success. And one of the things we've really focused on in the last couple of years is we, we used to have, I'd, I'd say, you know, four or 500 customers. It's kind of, we, we've shrunk that base and we want to get higher value. So we've shrunk the base while we're still growing. And to do that, you have to, you know, sell in more of your specific services. You have to sell in some larger deals. So we've been thinking about that really on, on the upfront preparation because, and, and then positioning ourselves a little bit differently as well. So we've gotten way more in, you know, we were named on the Forrester strategy wave. That's really big for us. So we can now not only, you know, do some of the upfront strategy work, then we go right into the design and build. And then ultimately, we also have services that um, will maintain software for our partners as well moving forward. That's probably our closest thing to SaaS, right? It's, it's repeatable or sort of annual contracts. We'll, we'll maintain someone's software day to day. But that's really you know how, how we think about it and how we started to move up the value chain a little bit. In going from a lot of customers with low ticket you know, price to fewer customers with higher revenue, higher value to them, obviously. Did you guys end up specializing more in the process? I find a lot of service firms will start out where they, you know, they'll almost take anything. And then over time, they find, hey, like, we're really, really good at this thing. And and they become known for that thing. Have you guys at, at right point ended up specializing in any particular area or areas? Uh, it's a great question. It's funny, you know, so our, our most services organizations are very matrix based. Ours is like that as well. So different regions have sort of honed in on different types of solutions. It's also funny too, like the, you know, sales reps who are better at selling certain things, AEs who are better at selling certain things, you'll see their regions ultimately, you know, drive more of that as well. So we've tried to remove, you know, some of that from the business. Um, there's been some verticalization. So we are really focused. So I, I mentioned I was up in Boston. I'm down in New York now. The New York office is really focused on our banking capital markets vertical. That's really the one we've stuck a flag in the ground and said, you know, RightPoint does have a verticalized solution. We have specific team members dedicated to it. Um, but across the agency, we've actually tried to remain pretty holistic. And the way I talk to our partners about that is we don't actually have a focus. But what we do, and, and it goes back to some of the stuff we talked about in prospecting, bringing those adjacencies to our partners. So, you know, I, I've thought a lot about the healthcare space and, and being in New York, I've also thought a lot about retail space. And you wouldn't believe it, but like, that the customer data problems are actually very similar, right? Like, you know, as an end user, I want all of my data in the healthcare scenario. And retail companies want to understand you holistically, what you're going to buy, when you're going to buy it, where you are in your life. And it's starting to draw some of those analogies and being able to think through, um, you know, how those blend together actually really helps us. And then the other part, you know, folks come to an agency, I mentioned the people side of it, to work on, you know, a lot of different things. Um, and we've wanted to keep that at, at, 
our core, you know, the, the people side of the business and letting them focus on multiple things. So we've tried to really good at, at certain things. Like I said, that banking capital markets will never lose that focus. We're really, really good at it. We're embedded. We've got great relationships. Um, but we've also wanted to keep our, you know, non-specific strategy just because it does help us, right? It, it pays dividends and like the flywheel of our business for sure. What are some kind of do's and don'ts for for both you guys on how to align your internal team because we're not robots, we're humans and you, you do need that trust internally as well. I, every time I hire a new AE, um, one of the, what I put, we, we set out, we're a big OKR organization. And uh, one of the pillars, one of the OKRs that I have them do in their first 90 days is build an internal network. Like sales is a team sport. And my, I, my direction and guidance to them is like, go make some friends. Like go meet people, do coffee with a lofty, which we have, right? Like set up internal meetings, just get to know people, understand what drives them, tell them a little bit about your background, get to know them because people need to want to work with you. And Jason, I bet you would probably agree too that like I put as much preparation and time into my internal partners as I do my external, right? Like if I have an internal meeting where I'm prepping one of our professional services partners, or I'm speaking with Adam Wade, our head of customer success, I want to make sure that if I'm bringing those folks into a customer interaction, that they feel like I have adequately prepared them and 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 tailored my communications to them to make sure I, I'm asking you, Jeremy, to come into this buying cycle with me. Here's the role I want you to play, right? Here's the, here's what the, here's the things you should know about the prospect or the customer. So I put, Jason, I think just like you, so much importance on the network that I've built here internally and, and I'm very protective of their time and want to use it correctly. Totally. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. In, in my experience, I think that's one of my, you know, what I would call superpowers, differentiators, whatever you want to say. Like I, I think it's really important. I think going the extra mile to make sure people internally are set up for success is really, really important. And if I could go back to it, we'll make it the term of the podcast, just the, the, the trust. I also, you know, there's times where I'm like, Hey, this is really fast moving. I'm going to be a pain here and I need you to do some work. When you have the trust and someone's like, all right, I know you have my best interest at heart. I know you have my team's best interest at heart. I know you care about what you're selling. I'm like, you're going to, you're going to set me up okay here. They're willing to do it. And that took me a, a bit to learn. I would say my first six months of the organization that, that I didn't think that was a, a, a you know, I, I, I didn't know. Maybe I was too young in my career or just didn't have um, that. And I complete, completely flipped that, um, you know, pretty early because I was like, this is, this is how you get better. This is the most important thing. Um, actually, one of my old colleagues, I'll give him a shout out. His name is Dean Andrews. Uh, he used to walk the halls of Ray's Labs and be talking to people. And I was always like, what is he doing just walking around? And I realized like that was the magic of what he was doing. It was just building the rapport, building the relationships, building the trust. And when he would have a Dean deal come through, you know, everyone would jump in and help him because he had built that. And, and that was something I really definitely um, I, I learned from him. So I think it's super, super important um, to do that. People are are powered by recognition, right? Even if it's not public, they just want to know someone someone cared and appreciated their work. And I think if you are effusive with your praise, as long as it's genuine and authentic, right, then that really goes a long way. Uh, one last uh, abrupt transition here because uh, we've had a, a bunch of sales leaders get on talking, you know, how how their lives have changed during during COVID. Uh, but we have yet to have an account executive get in and like confirm some of those things that they're saying, what, what's true and what's not. So, so how have you had to change the way you work and the way you engage and all of that during this past year? It's definitely harder to 
it's harder to present. It's harder to own the room. It's harder to, to see everything that's happening. Um, it just, it, it really, really is. So a couple of the ways that I've tried to combat some of that is doing more pre-work with the sponsor who's like bringing us into something. So I've said like, hey, I'm going to get you decks sooner. I want, and, and there's been a couple of times too where I've said, hey, we're not done. There's a bunch of blank slides in here, but I want to give it to you. I want you to like have a chance to look at it and see if this would resonate. And I would do a lot of that before, but at the same time, it, you know, when you're in person, it's easier to have a conversation if you're missing the mark than if you're online. And it's just, it's different. So I've done a lot more preparation with the prospect or with the client. On what we're going to be, you know, walking their team through, walking our team through. So that's been a pretty big shift for me. And then the other thing you mentioned too, around like, you know, talking about people and stuff. One of the things I've found is that a lot of people are, are communicating in meetings and, and they've got multiple things going on. They're sending emails and I think it's okay to have back channel set up and things, but I, I've been really cognizant of telling the team, like, hey, when we're in this conversation, let's all shut everything else on your laptop. Like, let's really dive in. Let's dig in. And um, I started doing something probably about six, three months ago. I stopped typing notes and I started writing my notes again. It sounds like you're very explicit in how you run a meeting, right? Even a virtual meeting. And I, I feel like sometimes I see my agents be a little bit hesitant. I'm more like you, like I will step in, right? And I will say like, hey, Jason, it looks like you haven't had a chance to contribute in a while. Can I ask you to weigh in on this one, right? But be very intentional about bringing people into the discussion and be very explicit about managing the room because it's really hard to do. It's a learned skill and we all had to pivot to it. And it's not something we've all been coached or trained on. So one thing with that, Mandy, that's that's interesting, and I've started doing this a little bit, is when you're a lot of times when you're presenting, and this is a software bug that the the, um, the platforms need to fix, you actually can't see any of the video. Like your screen gets full. So you are now flying totally blind. Like all you have is your deck that's up, and you can't see your colleagues, you can't see the client, or maybe you see one person. So what I've started doing, and we've done this a couple of times, is I'll say, hey, I want someone not looking at the presentation, and actually looks like monitoring video a little bit who's engaged and seeing who's not. Um, and it just gives you more ways to follow up or like more things to hit into. And again, that that's counter to some of the stuff I said about, you know, a little bit less on the back channel side. Um, but it is just a little bit more strategic. We've done that because a lot of times as an AE, if you are driving it, you can't see anything and you can't, you're just, you're going off your gut and intuition and, and that's hard. I love that. That is the best practice. We've started doing that on my team too, right? Making sure that if you've got a big presentation with a customer or a prospect, you bring somebody internal onto that meeting whose explicit role is to watch the room, right? And it's all of this that we've evolved virtually. I love that tip. The way people interact at their own companies on Zoom meetings is different too, right? So you're still learning about, and that's one of the reasons I would say the preparation with your specific client, your specific buyer is really important because they can tell you, hey, this person's never going to respond. Don't worry about them. But maybe ask a pointed question of this person and and you'll know who to go to and, and when. Um, and I think that goes back to some of the earlier stuff. You know, if you really make it framework-based, like if you have a great trust and they know they're getting value and then you can do this preparation with the client, then they look like a rock star because the presentations are great. And and again, it's, it's back to that time-based and, and value-based stuff that we've hit on a couple times. Um, so yeah, those are probably my tips. I would, I'm constantly learning. That's the other, the, the cool part, I think, you know, and, and you said this many, but like we get to do this for me. And, and we really empower all of our AEs, all of our project teams at, at right point is to 
tweet things. Like, think about them. Think like just because we've done something one way doesn't mean it's the right way. Like, let's constantly evolve and tweak things. And I think that's just it's just so important. I, I often joke with prospects like this is the closest I get to building software. I want to iterate with you, even if it's on a proposal or something. Let's work through it together. It doesn't need to be a super formal. This is me like presenting to you. It, it can be a collaborative thing. So that's something I, I think often about. Uh, so, Jason, thanks so much for being on. If people want to learn more about you, last name is C-I-M-I-N-O, Jason Cimino, uh, or RightPoint, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, I, I, uh, so I have no problem putting email out there. It's just jcimino at rightpoint.com. Um, happy to field any questions or, or talk to folks about anything. And then if there is interest, I figure I'll, I'll throw a quick sales plug. Um, we, we do do some awesome, awesome stuff at RightPoint. We are, we are really, really good at um, designing, strategizing, and, and building uh, great digital products. So it's uh, an exciting time to be a part of the company for sure. Thanks for being on and thanks, Mandy. Yeah, absolutely. It was super fun. Thanks, Jason. Thank you both. Talk to you soon. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 